Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for January 18th, 2018. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com. I'm recording this in a hotel room in Park City, Utah, as we prepare to kick off our coverage of the Sundance Film Festival this year. If you listened to yesterday's episode, you heard the unfortunate news that this show's regular host, Peter Serretta, slipped and fractured his wrist, and he actually ended up traveling back to L.A. last night to seek out proper medical treatment. Chris Evangelista, another Slash Film writer and regular guest on the show, was also planning to join us in Park City, but he ended up getting really, really sick, and so he's not going to be here either. So that leaves me and Brad Omen, who you may know by the name Ether, Ethan Anderton on the site, to sort of hold down the fort here with Sundance coverage. So we're going to do the best we can to spread things out and get as many reviews as possible up on the site. And uh, I'm sure it would be appreciated if you guys could send some nice thoughts to Peter, especially. He is on Twitter at SlashFilm, so if you want to reach out to him, you can do so there. Sundance officially kicks off with its first screenings a few hours from now, so I'm sure Brad and I will be appearing on the podcast over the next few days to fill you in on the movies we saw and which ones you should put on your radar but uh, in the meantime, in today's episode, we're going to drop you right into a feature presentation of Chris's top 10 films of 2017. Thanks for listening and enjoy. And for our feature presentation, we have Chris Evangelista on to talk about his top 10 movies of 2017. How's it going, Chris? Pretty good. Uh, let's get to it. Uh, number 10 on your list is Dunkirk. Yeah, uh, Dunkirk. Um... I don't know if this is the best Nolan movie or my favorite Christopher Nolan movie, but I think it's one of the best examples of his directorial skill. It's he's literally putting every sort of trick he's learned through his career on display in this movie. And, you know, uh, this could have been, you know, a standard sort of war movie, but instead it's, you know, it's this uh, very well edited three-layered narrative and at first at first you don't even realize it's it's sort of three separate narratives and then slowly he starts bringing them all together and just the pacing on this movie is incredible it's very propulsive it's always moving forward 
and uh, you know some of the you know the shots in this movie, like the you know the the dog fights in the air, you know, which he shot on IMAX, just look incredible. And you know, as is his style, they're all done you know practically with real planes rather than you know abundant CGI. Oh, for sure. This, this is a movie. You know, I I said it on uh, some other podcast uh, this month, but this is a movie that needed to be watched on the IMAX big screen. Like, yeah, definitely. I feel, I feel like um, I don't know. I I, I guess this is probably uh, too uh, hyperbolic, but I almost feel like watching this on a small TV would be you know pointless. Yeah, I mean, like I I rewatched it recently on my TV, and well, you know, while it looked good there because you know the the TV, it's like a fairly big TV. It didn't compare to you know seeing it on a huge IMAX screen. And number nine on your list is Jordan Peele's Get Out. Yeah, so I'm a I'm a very big horror fan, and um, there's nothing I love more than a horror movie that has ideas. Uh, you know, more often than not, the majority of horror that Hollywood pumps out is very uh, substandard. I'd say where you know it's more focused on jump scares, it's more focused on following trends, and this movie, uh, you know, Get Out, is very you know, has a lot on its mind, and it's not just a standard horror movie. It's it's a satire. It's a socio-political commentary. It's it's a lot of things at once, and uh, I, I it really blew me away because you know I, I was aware of Jordan Peele obviously through through Key and Peele, but I really didn't realize what a talented filmmaker he was. And this is like his debut feature film, and he, he knocks it out of the park. This is one of the best like feature debuts I've I've ever seen. Just it's very well directed. It's it's tense. It's it's funny at times. It's disturbing more often than not um i was just very impressed with this film yeah and i i know i've said this before i feel i like this film a lot but i feel like the political commentary and the social political commentary it is like where it is strong at in the horror and as a horror and comedy film it's not great in either of those right. reactions but uh um it, it is on many people's lists um i i think it's a, a film of this time to be you know for sure yeah um, definitely and uh, number eight on your list is Ocha. Yeah, um, I'm surprised this... Uh, I almost wish I had put this on my underrated list, but I thought this would be on more people's list, but it's not really showing up. Um, this was, uh, you know, this is a Netflix movie, and there was some controversy sort of when they showed this at Cannes, and people sort of booed be, you know, before it even started because they were just offended at the idea of a Netflix movie playing at the Cannes Film Festival. But then, you know, when the screening ended, everyone cheered, and rightfully so because... This is just an excellent movie. Um, it's also, uh, for most of the part, it's it's funny. It's a funny film, but the last hour is very disturbing to the point where, even though I love this movie, it's one of my favorite movies of the year. I don't think I could actually sit through this movie again. It's it's the you know the last hour is just this harrowing trip through uh, a slaughterhouse basically, and it, it sort of it, it rattled me. I, I was not expecting it to rattle me so much, and. It really did. And anytime a movie that has the power to affect me as much as this movie did, it's it's worth paying attention to for me. You, you know, this is one of the films that I did not see this year. It's I guess it's now on my list of shame because I, I when it came out, I don't feel like I heard uh, a lot of great positive buzz for it. But it's on both your and HT's top 10 of the year. So now it, it is definitely jumped up my list and, and what I need to catch up on. Yeah, it, it definitely check it out. It's on obviously it's on Netflix right now. Yeah. Number 7 on your list, Personal Shopper. 
Uh, yeah, I, I actually I saw this film over a year ago. I saw it at TIFF. They played it at TIFF in 2016, and they didn't release it until 2017. But ever since I saw it at TIFF, I was just thinking about it uh, nonstop, basically. Um, this is a very weird, uh, almost unclassifiable movie where it's sort of a ghost story. It's sort of a murder mystery, but it's not really those things at all. Um, Kristen Stewart stars in it. Uh, I'm This movie pretty much made me a Kristen Stewart fan. I was sort of indifferent to her for a while. Uh, I, I wasn't, you know, one of those people who just hated her, which do exist, I guess, based on the, you know, the Twilight films. I was just sort of, I didn't really have an opinion on her as an actress, but seeing her in this movie, it just blew me away. It's a very uh, layered performance. It's, it's There's a lot of, uh, I guess, nuance, I would use as the word that, that she brings to this part. And for some reason, a lot of people have a hard time believing that. Uh, some people, I like, tell them, you know, Kristen Stewart is very good in this movie, and I guess they're just automatically associating her with the Twilight Saga. And I have to remind them that's a long time ago. She's she's uh, much older now. She's learned a thing or two. She's a much better actress than she was in Twilight. And I actually think she's one of the, like, the most interesting actresses working right now based solely on her performance in this movie. Kirsten Stewart uh, was in some great stuff before Twilight, too. I feel like it's, you know, when she's given the right material that right. allows her to, you know uh dive into and it's not like a ya throwaway thing you know it, it, like it, she's good it's just you never know when she's in a project is it <laughs> is it you know this shallow piece of uh of, of movie or is it you know something deeper yeah I, th I think she's definitely now just taking more and more deeper things which is great i i, I look forward to see her in more stuff Number six on your list is a film that is on many of the top tens, very up high on, on many of them, like HTs, and that is Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, this this movie is fantastic. It's another movie I saw at TIFF. Uh, I loved it. I mean, this is one of those movies where I feel like everything I'm going to say about it is like hyperbolic, just because it's it's like it's almost the movie's almost like a sensory overload from beginning to end. Um, you know, you know. On the forefront, it's you know it's a it's a romance movie, it's a romantic movie, but there's a lot more going on here, just on a, a textual level. Like, uh, very few films capture the feel of like summertime as well as this movie does, but you can practically like feel like the lazy summer heat just like drifting off the screen from this film. It's set over you know a summer in Italy, and just like from through the you know the sound design where there's like cicadas and the trees and there's thunderstorms at night. And just, it just feels like a very summery film. And that really impressed me sort of the most of all, just how well that captured it. But, you know, beyond that, the performances are great. You know, the love story is great. It's just a, it's a fantastic film. And uh, I think any other year it might've been even higher up on my list, but everything that came after it, I liked just a little bit more. Number five on your list is a film that placed highly on your underrated list, and that is Blade Runner 2049. Right, yeah. So, yeah, obviously I talked about this on the underrated uh, segment, but, yeah, I, I I love this movie. I am, you know, I don't put too much stake in box office. Like, I don't really care if a film underperforms at the box office normally, but I am a little disheartened that this is a film that, you know, goes out of its way to be... Uh, different and creative and even intellectual and 
almost no one wanted to give it a chance. Uh, I've said before, and I do believe that in time, people will rediscover this film and appreciate it for what it is. But it is a bit of a bummer because it sort of sends a message to Hollywood, you know, oh, maybe we shouldn't pump so much money into big cerebral movies like this if no one's going to see them. And that's, you know, that's disappointing. I, I, I want more movies like this. And just looking at your list here, like looking at the frame that you chose for Blade Runner 2049, and you could have chosen a hundred different frames for this movie. This movie's so beautiful. Like every little frame is like a painting. Um, it's just, yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, even if you do, even if you see this film and you don't respond to the story, uh, you will fall in love with what you're seeing on that screen. Number four yeah. on your list is The Post. Yeah, uh, this is you know, Steven Spielberg's movie about the Pentagon Papers. Um, I've seen some criticism of this movie that sort of say it's too on the nose, which I guess at times it can be on the nose in the way, you know, Spielberg relates the events in this film with, you know, our current political situation. And while I don't disagree it's on the nose, I also feel like we're at a point where subtlety isn't needed anymore. You need to be blunt in what you're saying. And this film is a very rousing defense of both, you know, the first amendment and just the, uh, the idea of a free press in general. I, I'm a sucker for movies about newspapers and journalism. I've always been. And I, I just love a movie that, you know, cheers that on. But even, even if you don't care about that message, which you should, but even if you don't care about the message, I also think this is just a great movie. It's got an incredible cast, um, uh, you know, led by Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep, who are are great here. I mean, it's commonplace to say Meryl Streep is a great actress, but this is a her performance in this film is one of those things that reminds you why everyone says she's a great actress because it's a very. This is actually, I think, one of her best performances in a long time. It, it's surprisingly subtle. It's surprisingly. Uh, she's always sort of like thinking about stuff. There's, you can like see the gears turning behind her eyes. And beyond that, it's just a very breezy film. This is, I think, one of Spielberg's most fast-paced films. It's it's over in like a blink of an eye. And it's not a short film. It's it's pretty much exactly two hours long, but it just flies by. So, uh, you know, even if you don't care about that political message, which, again, you should, but if you don't care about that, you should still be able to appreciate that this is a, just a really entertaining movie. I have seen some other criticism on the film from a journalistic standard of like, you know, spotlight show journalists doing the work and going out and, you know, banging on doors and researching. This film is mostly journalists, you know, uh, they get a doc, you know, they get handed these documents and they're basically just reading and, you know, highlighting stuff. And yeah. the, the, most of this, the, the, the hard decision goes into, do we print it or not? Um, yeah. And but I I think it's a totally different movie, and I think for that reason I, I I've also argued in past podcasts that I wish Meryl Streep was kind of the protagonist of this film. It's kind of I think more in the hands of Tom Hanks in this film, and I feel like the the big decision comes to her in the in the story, and it should should have been more about her than I think the journalism. But yeah, I actually um, I was reading up on the film and. The original script was literally just about her, and then they sort of expanded it to make it about, you know, the the whole the the post as a as an institution as well. But yeah, I, I understand what you're saying too. Yeah, it even had a different title, right? I think it was called the yeah, it was called the Papers for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so number three on your list is Phantom Thread by Paul Thomas Anderson. 
Yes. Uh, I, I know you weren't as impressed with this movie, Peter, as I was, but uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Paul Thomas Anderson fan, but this is really not like any movie he's made before. It's also, this is one of those movies that the, the trailers aren't doing it any justice because the trailers make it look like this sort of like stuffy costume drama. And I don't think it's that at all. I, this is actually a very funny, dark comedy. Um, and I feel like a lot of people don't get that. Uh, the screening I saw it at, you know, which was a press screening, a lot of the people, some people were laughing, but a lot of them weren't. I don't think they realized that almost everything in this movie is supposed to be funny in a very dark, twisted way, but it, it, it's supposed to be comedic. And uh, Daniel Day-Lewis is hilarious in this, just the way he just shoots these withering glances to everyone. Um, you know, at first, the movie, it seems like it's going to be just another version of that trope of, you know, the tortured asshole artist who's mean to everyone. And very, very slowly and subtly, it starts to turn into something completely different that it caught me completely off guard. And just, you know, the performances, the direction, all the, the score is fantastic. Um, uh, this is one of those films. I just haven't really stopped thinking about it since I saw it. I mean, I don't want to paint a picture that I did not like this film this film was i think it's a great film i understand why people i understand why this is in your top three uh and i i did think it was so darkly funny daniel day lewis's performance is great i think uh i didn't like the ending um which Mm -hmm. we won't get into and i I just don't think it was a film for me if that makes sense Um, no yeah I, i i can understand that i i could fully this is one of those films that if someone doesn't love it as much as i do i completely get it because it's a very it's a weird movie. It's not, you know, uh, it's it's a very strange film. For sure. And uh, number two, The Shape of Water. Yes, this is also a very strange <laughs> film. Um, <laughs> uh, I love Guillermo del Toro, uh, and I think this is might be his best movie. If not his best, it's, it's one of the, the best directed of all his films. It's, um, I, I knew somewhat what the film was going to be going into it. I knew it was about, you know, a woman who finds uh, like a creature from the black lagoon type monster at a government facility. And uh, the, the, the early trailers made it sound like, you know, they become friends, but the movie they're you know, they're a lot more friend than friends. It's, it's literally a romance between uh, this woman played by Sally Hawkins and this, you know, fish man. And what I love about the movie is it plays that romance completely straight. It's there's never a moment where uh, Del Toro is like, "Oh, look at how weird this is." This human woman is in love with this fish man. It just it plays it almost as like it's perfectly natural. And I, I just kind of love that about the movie that it's sort of like this this celebration of uh, you know love on your own terms. I guess is the way you could put it. And uh, the whole movie is just populated with these sort of outcasts of society, you know, who don't really fit into what, you know, is considered the quote unquote norm. And uh, Del Toro is great at making films about those types of individuals. And this is like a, just a great example of that. For sure. It's it's such a beautiful film. Um, I hope people see it. Uh, let's get on to your number one, which is a favorite of the slash film uh, uh, writers. And that is The Florida Project. Yes. Uh, so this is um, it's a smaller film, I guess, compared to everything else on my list. 
Uh, it's from A24, you know, the, the super indie studio. Um, so I'm not a, uh, this is going to make me sound like I'm an ogre, but I'm not a fan of children, I guess is the way I would put it. Uh, I find children, especially in movies, I find child actors to be sort of grating. And it's, that's no fault of their own. They're just, you know, they're kids and they don't know how to act. They're, you know, they're being put into this weird situation. But the kids in this movie are just wonderful. They're natural. Not once, even though they could even be bratty kids in this movie, there was not once when I was watching the film was I was like, oh, get these kids out of here. Like I was fully invested in, you know, the journey of these kids through, you know, just this this story. Um, There's not really one main plot in the film. It's more of just like a slice of life sort of narrative where it just keeps going from day to day and that could be meandering in lesser hands, but uh, Sean Baker, who also directed uh, Tangerine, which has a sort of similar sort of flow. And that was the film that was uh, shot all on iPhones, but he's very good at capturing these sort of down to earth, realistic people. And uh, I just loved it. Uh, Willem Dafoe, I think gives maybe the best performance of his career. And that's saying something because he's always good, but he's phenomenal here. And it's actually a, uh, a great uh, example of, you know, he's, he seems to be stuck playing bad guys cause he has that look, but he's so we're weirdos. Yeah. He, he, you know, he has that really abnormal look to him. So he's, he's always playing weirdos or bad guys, but he plays such a nice guy in this movie. And it sort of made me like, angry. I was like, oh, I wish he had been playing more nice guys because he's so good at it, but maybe that helped make this performance even better. It finally gave him a chance to play that nice guy, and he does it so well. And everyone in this movie is very good. And a lot of the cast, they're not even professional actors. Uh, I think that the actress who plays uh, the lead girl's mom, Sean Baker, found her on Instagram, but she's <laughs> great in the movie, too. So he just basically put these non-actors in the film and found a way to make it work. And I loved it. Um, I know I don't want to give away the ending. I know some people don't take to the ending, but the ending uh, is again, this is another film I saw at TIFF, but when I saw this at TIFF, uh, you know, as soon as the, the movie ended, I was just blown away in my seat. It was just, I, you know, it was not expecting the ending to hit me on such an emotional level as it did. I, you know, I, I think, to be as vague as possible. I, I think I like the intention of the ending. I don't think I love the execution of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, th- this film is definitely a must watch. It's going to be up on the top of my top 10 uh, when, when I publish that. Uh, yeah. So go check out the Florida project. Uh, and you have a bunch of other uh, movies that you list uh, that are kind of honorable mentions. You can read that in Chris's full list, which you can find at slash home.com. We'll link it in the show notes. Uh, Chris, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, I'm on slash film.com and I'm on Twitter at C evangelista 413. And you can find more on all the stories mentioned today on SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast, SlashFilm Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, concerns, criticism, praise to Peter at SlashFilm.com. That's Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention it on the air. And please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. That helps us out quite a bit. Spread the word. Tell your friends about this podcast. And we'll see you next time.